Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, we have the prerequisites for Switch 101. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I'm always joined, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. We've got a good show for you today. We are going to be talking about the news from the week, including Nintendo's new concierge service and the new uh, SNES games coming to Nintendo's uh, Switch Online. And then on Thursday, we're going to be re-evaluating our first-party backlogs. But Mark, in the meantime, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, I feel like we've talked about recently, I think on the show even, uh, that like I've in the past maybe like five or so years tried to reread the Lord of the Rings books, but like without success. Yes, mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm trying a new tactic. I instead oh, of like you gonna re- sneak up on it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> instead of kind of, I mean, instead of reading them, I'm uh li- I'm listening to. I started listening to the audiobook of Fellowship of the Rings, but what I'm doing is like I'm uh, I have like I'm listening to it as I fall asleep. <laughs> and it's kind but what i don't do yeah. is i like like i put like my uh uh ipad so it like goes to sleep after like 30 minutes of playing it and then like i conk out at i don't know whenever like i conk out and then the next morning when i or uh the next day when i like start it up again i don't like try to go back to where i was i just like whatever i'm keeping forward progress and it's working out i've only done it a couple of nights and it's working out okay because I'm familiar enough with the story of Fellowship of the Rings that, like, you the, can zone out a little I can bit. zone yeah. out, and then it's like, oh, where am I? Okay, yeah, like, they're, like, in this part of the story, great. Like, that's all the, the only context I need. So we'll see if um, this works. I mean, wh- l- let me ask you this. Are you getting anything out of that? Does that do anything for you, or is it just, like, a sleep aid at this point? <laughs> it's a, it's a basically a sleep aid, but, like, yeah. you know, you could, uh, uh, there are worse sleep aids. <laughs> Speaking of worse sleep aids, my copy of Sonic Forces, would you like to borrow it? It'll put you right to sleep. You can try. All you got to do is email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. gmail.com. Your name goes on a list. Oh, you also have to give us a mailing address. Mark, I'm, I'm breaking things up. They're happening out of order. I don't know what's going on. You have to send us a mailing address so that when you get uh, selected from this list, when it is your turn, I mail you my copy of Sonic Forces for you to play as long as you want. Um, there may also be a, a, not also, but instead a copy of Untitled Goose Game in the Sonic Forces box. You play that for as long as you want and you send it back. It's a perfect program, Mark. Patrick pays for postage there and postage back. So all you got to do to participate, put your name on the list, and then maybe someday, hopefully, eventually, you will get, yes. a, uh, to borrow Patrick's copy of Sonic Forces. <laughs> Although I feel like the Sonic Forces borrowing program, which is perfect is about to be upstaged by what we're about to do. Would you like a copy, a, a code for Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp FE? We're giving one away. That's right. It's redeemable only in the U.S. Switch shop. We got to say that up front. Um, but like, there are ways to redeem stuff on your Switch, no matter what location you're in. But I'm not going to get into it here because I've never tried. I don't exactly know how it works. But all you've right. got to do if you want this code for Tokyo Mirage Sessions, Sharp FE, 
is write in to us. Mm-hmm. Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. gmail.com with the subject line sharp fe and then yeah, and it, do it and do it with the not not the word sharp but <laughs> pound hashtag fe no space and then in the the body of the email um write in with who your mirage would be and since you haven't played the game yet you may not know what a mirage is the mirage is basically like your avatar somebody who like gives you power somebody who would lead you into battle and uh, it doesn't have to just be a Fire Emblem character. Let it be any Nintendo but character. Be. But it could, it could be. be. Right. Um, it also doesn't have to be any, a Nintendo character either. Like, if you think that your Mirage would be Lady Gaga, that's fine. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But, I mean, great. I've, I've called it already. But, like, <laughs> that one's mine. But, like, you can come up with yours. So, it's a two-part process. Uh, subject line, sharp FE. Um, in the body, say who your Mirage would be. Send that to us by March 15th. We'll take all of the entries, randomly select a winner. And uh, you'll have a code for Tokyo Mirage Session, Sharp FE. Which is very exciting uh, and possibly better than uh, getting to play Sonic Forces for a little bit. But the program itself, I guess, is less perfect. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, Also, we, okay, uh, on our previous episode on Thursday, we talked uh, about a a great many things on our 433 episode. Again, thank you so much to everyone who wrote in with suggestions. Mark, you've uncovered, or perhaps uh, listener June has uh, dis- discovered a, a sort of a war of articles about <laughs> otters. Um, well, okay. <laughs> do you want to guide us through this? Yeah. So in, four, in our mm-hmm. 433 episode, uh, we were suggested to talk about otters. And I think Patrick and I spent the four minutes and 33 seconds just praising them. Uh, a friend yeah. of the show, June, texted me. And was like, do do you want to hear the other side? Like, should I share this with you? And I was wow. like, I've got to know. Open my eyes. So he sent me an article from Vox that is basically like, um, t- like a nine point takedown of otters. And right. while I respect the article, kind of, I do question if it is planted by the bird or fish lobby in an attempt to get on more T-shirts at the Monterey Bay Aquarium where otters are definitely, like, bogarting that. I mean, look, uh, you know, otters uh, definitely have, like, the crown to lose, right? So, like, it it's, makes sense that there would be a big target painted on their back. Um, so, I guess, uh, what are we, just teaching the controversy here? What's going on? <laughs> well, and I, just, I just wanted to mention, mm-hmm. I wanted to mention that it was a thing. I also wanted to mention <laughs> that there was, a, there was a rejoinder from the website The Dodo, which you may have seen their adorable animal photos on Instagram or... Um, Twitter, a, re- a rejoinder that directly calls out the Vox article, which I, I feel like rarely happens from the Dodo. I don't feel like they're known. No, they're for, not really uh, an activist group. But also, like, you got to imagine that the Dodo is looking after their bottom line, too, because they have a lot of cute right. otter videos yeah. and they can't afford to have. So, you know, consider all the sources. Yes. Again, we're teaching the controversy. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mark, let's get into what we've been playing. It has, of course, been the weekend of Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury. Um, Mark, I spent a ton of time playing both of these games uh, this weekend. When we talk about them now, I would like to separate them clearly into distinct packages, one being Super Mario 3D World and the other being Bowser's Fury. Um, I, I know that you also picked up this, this uh, package of games Um Maybe we start with uh, your experience with either one of them. Yeah, so I've been playing exclusively Super Mario 3D World, and I haven't 
actually put that much time into it yet, which uh, I can get into like a little bit later. But um, I am enjoying what I played so far. It's mostly been online. So I played online with uh, you. I played online with friend of the show, June. Um, and I online was one aspect of this game that I was really looking forward to because I think multiplayer is like a big part of the appeal of this game. And yeah. I was like, okay with the online experience like i was pleasantly surprised i was dreading the worst but i think it turned out at least so far to be okay yeah i mean there there is a little bit of it gets a little framey sometimes it is a little bit laggy or you know like sometimes you can tell that it is just uh you know continuing your previous input for a few frames too many um but like really it's it's a uh like a minute or so of adjustment and then like kind of snap into it and it just feels fine yeah i mean i definitely think it depends on like the connection like when you totally. and I, when you and i were playing we uh in the beginning i was like oh this feels like a little bit weird but it was easy to kind of like get over that um when june and i were playing they i would say that like we were describing the the jumps as like chunky like it just felt mm. like through the entire play session it just like didn't feel quite right it's not enough the thing that i think is notable is that in the parts that I've played, it wasn't enough to ruin my experience by like any stretch of the imagination. It just it just doesn't like control as tight. Like the precision isn't really there, but it's still yeah. it's still like workable. Now I know that like that's not the experience like everybody is having, but I've I've when I have experienced bad Nintendo online platforming, like when I um Super Mario Maker two launched and it was basically just like unplayable for me and this is not that experience at all yeah i think there's also uh, an element of multiplayer super mario 3d world being um like part of its joy being how chaotic it is um that like this sort of it, it doesn't go against that chaos i'm not saying that it's additive to it um but like it it feels like a part of the game's vocabulary already. One one last thing I want to say about 3D World, and then I'd, I'd love to hear like your experience of playing on Switch, is um, that I it has taken me a little bit of time to like get used to the way the courses are like built out in 3D World, and I mean that in the sense that like in other more like course based Mario games, um, it's I feel like it's not as hard or it's not as easy to like fall off the edge as it is mm, in this mm, game mm. and i'm falling off the edge a lot like a lot Mark, a lot stop falling <laughs> off the edge <laughs> so trying to get like my like get the gr grips on that and like again i'm only um like one or two i'm like one in a world half like worlds into the game so there's a lot of like game to go but uh yeah for whatever reason i that is one difficulty that i am having is like the control scheme, I guess, like, isn't really, like, necessarily 100% clicking for me. Um, well, it's, it is interesting because, you know, we, we talked about um, the game being a little bit faster um, than it was on the Wii U. And that is something that uh, I definitely feel as someone who played um, the original, you know, a ton um, and, uh, you know, then started to play it again this, this weekend on, on Switch, um, that, like, the characters aren't as... They're faster, so they are also a little bit looser, right? Like you just cover more ground in fast in less time. Um, so like I can actually understand like if you're running around as Toad, you can get going just like too fast. Where like yeah, you probably are gonna fall off the stage because like you just become a little bit less precise 
um, by, by virtue of the fact that you're going faster. It's also meant that some of the more difficult uh, platforming challenges, um, Sarah and I beat the game this weekend. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're into the post game, and I'm sure that by the end of this coming weekend, we will have finished that as well. Guy, <laughs> um, you know, I, I love the game. And, you know, when we're both playing it together and just like having a fun time and laughing, like there's no reason to stop. Um, but yes, some of the uh, like tighter platforming challenges are anytime that there's uh, like a timer uh, going on where like platforms change uh, with the music, um, you can absolutely feel that like your timing has changed uh, from the original release of the game. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's a slight adjustment there, but I, I the, the game is also running at, I believe, 60 frames a second. Um, the frame rate uh, on the Switch version is higher than the Wii U version, which uh, I can I can feel like I can see it and like it feels like a, a different, more fluid experience, possibly uh, aided by the fact that it is also faster. Um, but so like it, it is feeling like a different visual presentation. Um, and I, I feel like some of the icons are either like higher resolution, you know, like the little drawings of like Mario and uh, Luigi when you select the character. They seem crisper than they used to be. Um, and also the stamps, as you're collecting the stamps, are in color for the first time. They were in, oh. they're like monochromatic uh, in the Wii version, the Wii U version. That's interesting. Ooh, I, I do think we should also talk about uh, the changes to Captain Tro- Toad, like the Captain Toad levels. And yeah, by changes, Remarkable. I mean, yeah, um, mostly the fact that now you can play them in multiplayer, which of course means that you can't have like uh, multiple Toad running around and so what they have are like the other members presumably i guess i've only seen two of um like the the treasure yeah of the toad brigade yeah yeah it's great so the the first player plays as uh captain toad um and the the second player it plays as the blue toad with his glasses and everything uh which is adorable and it, it runs into the same problem as um multiplayer uh captain toad's treasure tracker um which is that both players can control the camera freely um, and if you are not on the same page about like who's <laughs> controlling the camera when, it becomes chaos immediately, <laughs> like borderline unplayable. You have to really be uh, in sync with the the other player. Um, also, I noticed that the the blue toad doesn't have a headlamp on his head, uh, so um, only Captain Toad can like ma- make the ghosts like uh, pop away with with his headlamp. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The other ones can look at the ghosts and the ghosts will cover their faces because they're embarrassed or whatever is going on there. Well, because in the actual, in like the Treasure Tro- or Captain Toad Treasure Tracker game for Wii U, 3DS, and Switch, it's uh, the, the multiplayer is Toad and Toadette, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And both of them have the, have the headlamp. Yeah. So. Interesting. Um, I, I, I still uh, love this game uh, and I'm very excited to, to keep going. Um, Mark, do you think you're going to be playing any by yourself or are you going to be trying to take on this game mostly, um, online? I think I am going to be playing, um, probably it'll actually end up probably being mostly by myself. Um, but I've, I'm, I'm hesitant to like get too much into it. And even though I'm excited for like, for me, like basically a brand new Mario game is I feel like I have momentum right now going in Tokyo Mirage sessions. And Mm. I feel like like my experience with rpgs is like built on momentum and so i'm worried if i interrupt that that like the chances of me going back are probably pretty slim 
and I'm enjoying Tokyo Mirage Sessions, and so I uh, I want to keep going, and so that's why I'm like, okay, I'm kind of gonna I'm gonna like play a little bit of Mario, but kind of put it to the side and focus most of my attention on Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Which the further I get into it, I'm just like that this game exists is crazy, and the fact that like Nintendo like brought it, not only brought it to the Wii U, but like we're then like oh, yeah, and now we're going to like uh kind of like bring it to the port it to the switch is just yeah. nuts. not because the game itself is like that's like the battle system is really fun like i'm i rarely feel like i'm like wow what i love about this game is like the battle system but i really like the battle system like the sessions where you're like making combos and the difference the way that you earn skills and like the way that you earn new weapons and stuff like i'm really really into but like everything surrounding this game you're just like what like how is this amazing not because it's like it's not weird. It's like objectively just kind of like cheap and bizarre. Like this game had to have been made for just like a tiny budget, which makes sense because like when it was made, like Persona was like big-ish, but like at this point, like Fire Emblem had not really exploded and definitely not on, you know, like consoles. On consoles, yeah. And and so this like weird mashup between the two where you're doing just like the most bizarre side missions where it's like, uh, okay, like this other character for this agency you work for where you're all idols is like, uh, she's on a TV show where she has to like be pretend to be dating this boy, but she's never been in love before. So you have to go on a date with her. And then the date just purely like, because this game is so cheap, the date just like, uh consists of like you meeting her in different locations and you guys talking to each other and then it's like wow now i understand what it's like for a teen to be in love it just does not make any sense why this game is so addicting but i and other baffling choices like you know in the when i was first talking about it i was talking about um how they had like the the hand-drawn or like hand-drawn looking anime cutscenes for like the yeah. songs or like those apparent those get dropped so fast and i don't know if they ever come back but, like, they're, like, an integral part of, like, the first chapter and a half. And then they just totally get dropped. It never happens anymore. I, don't, I would love to know the story of the making of this game. Because it feels like it doesn't make sense. It shouldn't be fun. But I'm having a blast with it. Uh, that's great. Uh, and that should just, uh, you know, provide more motivation for people to enter uh, the, our, uh, try, try to win uh, the, this copy of this game that we have. Um, uh, that that that's awesome. I'm I'm glad that you are having a good time with it, Mark. By all means, follow your momentum. Um, you know, don't don't pull yourself away from Mario. Will be fun. Will <clears throat> it'll be fun when you get to it. You know. But so um, so yeah. yeah, that was a really long winded way of saying like no, I have not. Or actually, I don't even know if we talked about it at all. Anyways, I haven't started Bowser's Fury, but I know you have, and I would like to know like your experience with that. So not only have I started Bowser's Fury, I have finished it. Uh, I have uh, beaten Bowser. I have collected all 100 cat shrines uh, and then beaten Bowser again. Um, I sort of love this thing. Um, awesome. It's really, really fun. It is um, Super Mario 3D World cross Sunshine cross Odyssey. Um, it is clear that they are using a lot of like Odyssey's assets, the map. Um, it functions exactly the, the same way a Super Mario Odyssey map um, functions. Um, a, a lot of what you can do with uh, uh, Bowser Jr. is like having um, a second player in the Cappy role. Um, and so like there's just 
and you know, it, the whole thing is just it takes place over uh, one uh, Lake Lapcat, right? With all these little little islands, and some of them are covered in sludge. Uh, and you get rid of the sludge by uh, restoring shines to the lighthouses on the individual islands. Uh, and every couple minutes, uh, Bowser busts out of of the of the muck and uh, terrorizes you. You can either um, wait him out. You can collect a, a shine. When you collect a shine, then like the lighthouse uh, shines light in his face and it goes away for a while. Um, or you can, uh, in certain scenarios, grab the uh, Giga Cat Bell and become a giant cat and you know do kaiju battle with him. Um, which it's it's simplistic combat when like you get when you're both huge. Um, but the fact that you are still in the same space, um, like it is. I, I love this area of Lake Lapcat. Uh, and so like something that you were climbing before, you know, that was like the whole level was just you trying to get to the top and like hit a thing now becomes cover that you can hide behind um, because, you know, you're enormous. So you're like hiding behind mountains and stuff. Um, yeah, I just I just really love this thing. And the, the further you get into it, the more the kind of like interconnected systems uh, like reveal themselves to you. And like the more like fun it is to explore, like all, all the the hidden little areas. I just I just really love it. It's a sh- shame. I don't actually know if I think it's a shame that it's like a, a pretty short experience. I you can one hundred percent it in like maybe six or seven hours. Um, but like, there's something very satisfying about like having played it and finished it this weekend. Like, it feels great. Uh, and, and like, would I want there to be more? Um, maybe I also enjoyed the time I had with it. So I don't know. I, I, I really, really love it for people who are picking up the game in the future and are unsure, like where to start. Uh, now that you've played both, would you recommend that people start with the 3d world experience or start with Bowser's fury or it doesn't matter. Like either one is a great place to start. I think either one is a great place to start. They're both. I mean, if you've never played, um, any of the super Mario 3d games, um, maybe start with the the base game because there's there there is uh like w- one thing that I think doesn't totally work in Bowser's Fury is um you know it controls the exact same way that uh, Super Mario 3D World controls so there is a dedicated run button that you need to hold um while you are moving to you know so that you can actually run which means that controlling the camera while you're doing that because the game has like a totally free roaming camera you know like um. 3D world will allow you to like tweak things now and then, but for the most part, you're just like taking the perspective that they give you, right? Um, and like you have to really do a lot of camera management in Bowser's Fury, and it can be difficult to do that while also holding a run button um, and and uh, other stuff like that. So it's it it is beneficial to understand Mario's move set to understand how um, the cat suit works because uh, you spend a lot of time in that cat suit. Um, to, to ride around on Plessy in uh, 3D World before getting into Bowser's Fury, because all of that becomes sort of like integral to how you explore this lake area. Um, all right, uh, though that's what we've been playing this week. Let's get into, into the new releases and what we might be playing next week. On Wednesday, February 17th, SNK versus Capcom, the match of the millennium is released on Switch. This is a Neo Geo Pocket, uh, you know, classic uh, c- coming to Switch. One that I have never played before, but that I am going to, and I'm very excited about. Um, I mean, the the SNK fighting games like King of Fighters, 
and World Heroes and all, all, all of those games are always like just on the periphery of uh, like the fighting games of which I am aware. But Capcom, you know, that's my bread and butter, baby. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to dig into that one. And then also on February 17th, we're getting new games to the SNES and NES Switch Online. Um, so the, I'll just run through the lineup first. The NES Please, lineup yes. is, is a game called Fire and Ice. And then on the Super Nintendo, we're getting Doomsday Warrior, uh, a game called Psycho Dream, which was not previously released in North America, and a game called Prehistoric Man. Yeah, so they're pretty lackluster suggestions, or not suggestions, they're happening. <laughs> they're pretty, pretty lackluster additions to uh, the NES and SNES uh, libraries. Um, I don't get it, Mark. I don't, I don't get these choices. Yeah, I, I don't get how these games come up. And, like, I don't really, like, the fact that, like, these games literally mean nothing to me because I've never experienced them like um and have no real desire to experience them like i'm okay with it i still feel like i'm getting my 20 dollars worth of value from nintendo switch online for the year yeah for the year yeah but i am genuinely baffled at like how um these like these games get picked is it a matter of like licensing where it's just difficult to license like the more attractive third-party games because you know like capcom or square enix or whatever probably can monetize them in more like interesting ways i don't know but also uh like square enix specifically has just not like (laughs) you know super mario rpg final fantasies 2 and 3 and chrono trigger none of them can be played on the switch in any way um like they they it's maybe they're holding them for a, a, a later date or or something or to be released separately like you say but they haven't you know um yeah. yeah, it's 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 very confusing to me. And like I can always justify when they're like, okay, here's Donkey Kong Country three and three games you've never heard of. Where I'm like, okay, all right. Then you've you've got like your one marquee event and you don't want to like just put out one game. I get that. Um that makes sense to me. But here, like, I don't know if uh they're posing Psycho Dream as like the marquee experience because it was never localized, or if like Fire and Ice, which is uh Solomon's key two um is 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 the marquee title like they're all pretty low-key crappy games um that i'm just like i don't know i I don't get it uh it it, it's the kind of announcement that when you see it pop up you're just like great what why why yeah yeah, totally and i i think you are onto something with like like psycho dream right a game that was previously not released in north america that like i think it is cool that they're doing that like we saw that with um uh, Super Mario Picross, right? Like, there's been in multiple games. Um, yeah, a couple games. The Tetris Attack, like a Puyo game Puyo and, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah, we named all three. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I do like that they're doing that. I wonder, like, going back to the idea of like, I mean, it doesn't excuse like how come Earthbound isn't on there and stuff like that. But for like third party right. stuff, I wonder if there's something to like, if Nintendo wants these games to be available for like the life of whatever this system is. Or like, you know, like this program is and it's difficult to get, um, you know, like Square Enix or somebody to say like, yeah, like in perpetuity, we like uh, we're going to yeah. have Mario RPG on the system. Whereas with, you know, it was part of the uh, S or the Super Nintendo Classic Edition. But those are kind of like a discrete like thing. It's not like, 
you know, like, oh, like these games could be licensed for the next like four years or more if it rolls over, like that sort of thing. And Nintendo doesn't want to be like adding and removing games from the library. Yeah. And I mean, that, 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 that makes sense. It's just, I mean, in, in Japan, one of the games being added to the list here is uh, Shimigami Tensei 2, which, uh, you know, never, also never released in the States. Um, but like, Obviously, they're putting a lot of weight behind Shimigami Tensei Five coming to um, the Switch, the remake of Four, um, and it's just like, well, there, there's an example of like an interesting game that, you know, if it were localized, and like you know, again, maybe that's another thing that like they're holding for later, um, much like uh, how in Japan they got the original Fire Emblem, um, and then we got it as like a separate purchase, um, like a year later, um, so. You know, it's uh, it, it there, there's a lot going on here. It's just one of those things where, uh, like the reality is like just straight disappointing. Um, and it's it's especially hard, like as we are sitting where we are right now, not really knowing what Nintendo developed games are going to be coming to the Switch in general. Um, like, you know, as as far as stuff that they're publishing, like I, I believe they're publishing Monster Hunter, but maybe they're not. Maybe it's just a partnership with with Capcom. Uh, and then Bravely Default, and then Pokemon Snap, and like, then that's it. And like, we don't we don't know what the rest of this year looks like. So to see this thing, which is sort of like the 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 buffer, the face spill, uh, uh, space filler, um, be four games that like I had not heard of before they were announced. It's like I don't know. It just, it just feels like a bummer. <laughs> I just I I. Uh... What I'm latching onto is like, and I, where I agree with you is like, I feel like there are a lot of like plausible theories as to why like the the games that we're getting are the games we're getting. But at the same token, like we have no idea, right? We're all in the dark. So it is this like yeah. when they're announcing these games and you're like, it's like, what? Like, why is this happening? Like, I'm sure there's logic to it. And I know they will never tell us, but it's just like from the outside, it looks completely baffling. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just one of those things where you're like, oh yeah, I don't need to get excited about, I don't need to care about this. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, also, uh, not particularly relevant by the time this episode releases, but the uh, free game trial with Nintendo Switch Online last week was Overcooked Two. Yeah, and actually, I, I believe that it will be active for the entirety of of Tuesday. Um, so if you listen to this episode early, um, you may be able to play Overcooked Two, uh, for free. It's a great game uh you you can check it out yeah it, it's in these uh trials is something uh if the, these free trials if you're a nintendo switch online member have been happening more and more frequently i feel like they're happening yeah, cool basically like run right after the other and there was a while where north america was being like left out of these free trials so it is nice to see that like perk being added yeah and then on friday february 19th thomas was alone is released for the switch eShop. Ooh, Mark, have you played Thomas Was Alone? No, but you have on the PlayStation 4, right? Yeah, maybe even on the PlayStation 3. Um, the Thomas Was Alone is a, uh, a like, platforming game where you play as very basic shapes. Um, and there is, like, a, a voiceover that gives, like, names and characters to all the different shapes that you're playing as. Um, and it is, like weirdly evocative of uh like interesting characters and it's it's just a very cool game um i'm excited to see it coming to the switch and then last week uh stardew valley version 1.5 was released on consoles including switch 
uh, it's a huge update to the game with new content like the addition of local co-op, a new farm location that you can start a beach farm now, um, advanced game options to let you customize more of the experience, an entire new region of the world called Ginger Island, and like a ton more. It's a huge update. I'm kind of feeling like I wish I had the time to start a new farm uh, because it, I, wow. I would love to get back into Stardew Valley, but like that game is such like a time suck in the like f- most fun way possible, but still it is like a, a life vampire. Uh, th- but that's good though. Like that's what that game is supposed to be. And so it's great that it is supplying you with more content. Um, I didn't mention it in what we've been playing, but you know, I, I, uh, popped into animal crossing today to participate in the, uh, festival, um, which is fun and cool and cute, uh, but you know, is over today. Uh, and then like, that's it. Um, so yeah, I, you know, if Animal Crossing was like, oh yeah, here's a new area and like a new kind of thing that you can do, like, yeah, I'd I'd be all about going back in and wasting way more time. Um, all right, so those are the new releases. Let's close this out. Now it is time for a regular segment on our show. It is time for 433. In 1952, American composer John Cage wrote a piece called 433, wherein a performer or a group of performers didn't play their instruments for 4 minutes and 33 seconds. For the purposes of this show, our instruments are talking about Nintendo. So, for the duration of one performance of 433, Mark and I will talk about something not at all Nintendo-related, thus fulfilling the contract of the piece. Uh, Mark, it, this feels like uh, coming home, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, <laughs> After it doing definitely a does. Whole episode. <laughs> um, so, uh, today we are uh, taking uh, one of the topics suggested by Alana uh, in our previous episode. Thank you, Alana. Um, we are going to be ranking the Canon Skywalkers. So first thing we need to do is establish the Canon Skywalkers. Mark, I think there are six. Okay. I think there are, so Anakin, obviously, right? Anakin's children, Luke and Leia. Uh, and then uh, uh, Kylo Ren, Leia's son. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, Ray, because she takes the name, right? And then okay. also, okay, you don't think she's a Skywalker? That's a I, canon Skywalker. I, I, okay, I'm, I, uh, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about it, and I know that I've had like over a year to process this, but I don't right. know how I feel. But I guess you're right. I guess like canonically, technically, she is. We yes, we are being asked to consider Skywalker canon here. Yeah, Mark. right. Yeah. Oh, also, we should talk. Mention we're talking about Star Wars. That's probably how it's <laughs> apparent, but yeah. it's a foregone conclusion. Um, but uh, and then so th- those are five, and then the sixth is of course Anakin's mother, Shmi Skywalker. Yeah, that's definitely true. Well, okay, but what about um like. And so I guess I guess I don't know what Uncle Owen's last name was, but uh, because if was Shmi, did she marry and become a Skywalker? I can't remember this. No, she was a Skywalker before because oh, okay. uh, because Anakin didn't meet uh, like Owen or Kleeg. They're they're Larses. Kleeg oh, Lars. Yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And also, just like a brief moment, let us all like uh, just remember that Shmi Skywalker was bought as a slave by yes. uh, Lars, and then like they fell in love from his perspective, and they got married. It's all very strange. 
yeah, he says that he set her free, uh, but then she stuck around. So I, I don't know. It's it's all very it's all very suspect. Um, how how do you rank these Skywalkers? Also, are we ranking them in terms of their Skywalkeriness or like just in terms of goodness? Hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm I am going to go with like favorites. Okay, is right. how I is how I'm going to do it. Um maybe Leia is number <laughs> Leia might be number one for me yeah I feel like Leia's number one um and then Shmi's at the bottom I think uh, uh Shmi's like, at the bottom because yeah. like whatever who cares <laughs> but I also feel yeah. like Anakin is probably number five yeah Anakin yes yeah I'm fine with that I'm fine with that and I so here I'll just do my this is what yeah. my list would be. Yeah, I think it. it'd be Leia, Luke, Kylo Ren, Rey, uh, Anakin, Anakin, Shmi. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll we'll never know mine. <laughs> but oh I, no, no, no! I feel I, like I we have to. That. I feel like we have to. Oh, okay, okay. No, I it's I I think I I, I fall the the exact same way. Um, although. Like there are days where I think I would put Kylo Ren above Luke. I love Luke. I love Luke. But you know, some sometimes I'm thinking about Adam Driver, and that's okay. Yeah. See, I actually I think that I would probably put I know <laughs> going into overtime. We're going like, really into this. Okay. Right. But like I think that I would, um, I think without Luke's story in the Last Jedi that I would agree with you that I think Kylo Ren, like, mm-hmm. ha- like I-, I think having that part of Luke's story makes him a stronger character. I agree. And so I think that, like, kind of solidifies his place up at the top. Yeah, it's Not tough. the top top. Right, not, not at the top top. That's Leia, of course. Um, all right, we, we could keep going forever, but we will not. Um, we were accompanied today by the EBU, your radio orchestra. Mark, let's get into the news. Nintendo has launched a new Nintendo Concierge service that allows Switch users to schedule 30-minute one-on-one consultations via Microsoft Teams with Nintendo representatives. So it's a free service, and it seems like it's geared for like parents or new users or people who are like getting up to speed, because the topics you can choose from are Nintendo Switch 101, games, getting started, games, what to play next, security and privacy, Nintendo account, and customization. Yeah, it seems like a, a pretty baseline like tutorial about how to have fun with your Switch. Um, you, you can book your appointments by going to uh, nintendo.com slash Nintendo Switch Concierge. Uh, and I don't, I don't really know who this is for. Um, this is one of those things where like, if you know it exists then you're probably plugged in enough to like Nintendo news where you could either uh, answer these questions for yourself. What do I play next? Uh, or look for other resources online. Um, it just, I, I just don't understand why this, why this is a thing. I wonder if it's like being and like, I haven't checked, but maybe the idea is that eventually this will be promoted as part of like Nintendo customer support. So that might be like, if you are, trying to set up a switch or something and you google it and nintendo has good seo right like that yeah. their customer support support might come up first and so maybe that's this is a way to like funnel people in with more 
um, like one-on-one hands-on introductory stuff. I mean, like, honestly, this is something that, you know, companies like Apple have been doing for kind of like a long time with their stores where they're like, hey, you bought a Mac, like you bought, like, let's like walk you through how to use this. Like if you've never used a Mac before, we want to make this a really like easy experience for you. So I think it's kind of cool that Nintendo is doing this. I it's just an interesting to me take on this like ethos that like games are for anybody. Yeah. Um I I kind of like it. Uh it's it, I mean it it is interesting maybe maybe I uh like reflexively turn my nose up to it because it's like very profoundly not for me, you know. <laughs> um but yeah, no that I I hadn't really considered uh, especially like the Apple perspective and also like uh you know when uh when you get like a new if I were to have a PlayStation 5 right now, there would certainly be um, features and functions that that thing can do or is doing already that I'm not aware of. Um, I know that there are menus and things in my PlayStation 4 that I have not dug through or totally understood. Um, so, you know, uh, it's, I guess it makes sense, uh, but it's, again, just one of the things that, like, the total functionality of it sort of eludes me. No, I mean, like, I do agree where it's like, okay, like, if, I was setting my switch if I was like buying a switch for like my grandma or somebody I wouldn't necessarily be like and let me try to explain how Microsoft Teams work so you can <laughs> you know like <laughs> have this one-on-one thing with like a stranger um so like so like when you're saying like who is this for I I like kind of agree with you where it's like I don't know entirely who this is for like I don't know who is going to be able to who needs this is also going to be able to jump through the hoops of like Microsoft Teams and all of that, like in order for this to happen. But I like the idea, and I hope that it is the beginning of something like, um, like uh, more because I think this idea of like one-on-one like customer service is great and should absolutely. I hope it catches on. Yeah. Ubisoft revealed in a quarterly financial report that they are the top third-party publisher on Switch. Top one. Ubisoft CFO Frederick Duget, and I'm I'm gonna be honest, like I struggle with the uh, Japanese names, and those are generally phonetic, so I have no idea what this person's name actually is. It's D U G U E T. I I think you nailed it, man. That that is exactly <laughs> how I would have said it. But like, if any of our like francophonic um, listeners would uh, love to correct me, I'm super into it. Uh, but he, uh, he said, quote, we're also reaping the benefits of the Switch's huge success, and our position as leading third-party party publisher on the platform, thanks to, among others, our Just Dance games and Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle. The depth and breadth of our catalog, which goes beyond the brand's mention, provides us with ever greater visibility and continues to be a strong driver of profitability, end quote. Um, on the conference call, they also mentioned that Immortals Phoenix Rising which uh, released late last year, is selling well on Switch. They didn't give any concrete numbers, but they seemed pretty pleased with it. Uh, yeah, and that's, uh, you know, I, I know that game is available on all platforms, but uh, I just sort of, uh, I know I passively think of it as a Switch game. Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if that uh, rings true to you too, but maybe just because it's the only of like the Ubisoft open world games uh, that is available on Switch. Yeah, totally. Also, doesn't it feel like uh, uh, we're kind of like the world is primed for a Mario plus Rabbids sequel at this point? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I maybe I just I, I always am. 
but I, I was just this weekend thinking about uh, the Peach Rabbit um, and uh, how, how cool that character was and how much we like liked her. And we're like, she's obnoxious. I, I think it's great. She's taking yeah. pictures with her uh, selfies with her phone. Like, uh, she's so stupid and I love it. Um, but yeah, that game was wonderful. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I, I think we're ready. Bring it on. Yeah, I, I, that is one that like uh, I am hopeful. I, I was just surprised at how much like fun I had with that game and how much yeah. like it, delightful it was. And so it is one that I'm like, yeah, like I would love to see uh, what a full sequel does, even though I, I never played any of the DLC, like the Donkey Kong one or anything like that. Yeah, but, I didn't uh, either. I think I bought it. I, I was looking at the, I think I, I was looking at the um, Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle uh, like page on the Nintendo store today because um, it, 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 it's on sale for like 75% off. It's a great game if you haven't played it. Like you can pick it up for 15 bucks right now. Um, but I was uh, just like scrolling down to like the DLC to just like see what it was called or what, what all was in there. And it said purchased next to it. So I was like, oh, Maybe I bought that and never played it. <laughs> uh, who will be doing the voice of Mario in DreamWorks' upcoming Super Mario Brothers animated movie? Wow. Great question. The, sadly, we don't have an answer yet. We just don't know. But uh, Mario's longtime voice actor, Charles Martinet, spoke on the subject during an interview with Stardust Blaze. And he said that the fun quote that the film quote sounds like great fun, and if they invite me to play, I'll go in and play with great joy and happiness. End quote. Which doesn't sound like he has been invited. It does not. Um, I mean, it it would surprise me if they were using his voice, right? Like, you know, just a yeah. quick reminder: we don't know anything about this movie. We don't know if it's going to be like a fully voiced Mario character, if Mario will speak at all. Um, he sort of, you sort of have to, right? Like Mario has to speak in like complete sentences, right? Yeah, you it's would a movie, think so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, th this uh, of all like, if anything that is a Nintendo project fills me with like a sense of dread, it yeah. is this DreamWorks animated like movie that's coming out in 2022, which at this point is only a year away. So they've definitely been recording, like, voices and been recording them for a long time. So if Charles Martinet, like, I, I agree with you that I don't expect him to, like, be a featured player. But I think it'd be nice for him to have, like, a voice cameo. Oh, yeah. Give him a cameo. But, you know, just a Wario in the background or something. He can do that. <laughs> but, yeah, this, I am not, I, this, this movie scares me a little bit. Only because I'm not the biggest fan of, like, DreamWorks animation. Um, yeah, I know Shigeru Miyamoto has said that he's like really involved with the project, but it just, I have such a difficult time. My brain is too limited. I do not see the possibilities that yeah, uh, same. everybody else apparently sees. And I am terrified. I, I don't think they will, but I am terrified that they're going to go with like celebrity voice casting for like uh, the, the main players yeah. in this Mario film. And I... I dread that a little bit. I do. You and McGregor as Mario. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what if Mark? Let me run this past you. What if Charles Martinet is voicing Mario in the Super Mario Brothers movie, and he is scared up just like everyone else was about uh, Nintendo 
finding out that people were leaking about the Zelda series for Netflix or this uh, Star Fox thing at uh, College Humor. Uh, and so now no one will say anything about the Super Mario Brothers movie, even if they're, they're, <laughs> well, I mean, they're in it. Yeah, I mean, Charles Martinet is, if like, he's been doing this for a long time. And so he yeah. does not want to get on Nintendo's bad side. So yeah, maybe that's true. That could be true. But then on the same token, you're like, do I, like, it's just, it's just, again, I my brain w- cannot. Would you even want it? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, my, my brain just cannot imagine it. Think about that Mario voice, right? The one that you hear for like a split second at a time going, yeah, woo. Yeah. And like then make it say sentences and like convey emotion for a yeah, 90 have pathos, minute movie. Yeah. Like it's, it, it's impossible. <laughs> We're yeah. discussing imagine, an impossible thing. Imagine that Mario like hitting rock bottom, right? Like having like a moment where he has to like steal A Dark Knight of the and, Soul? Like, his... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know about this. Like, I have faith. I am cautiously. I what? Well, that's actually not true. You're I was not. Say I'm you're cautiously not. optimistic. I'm not. But I have faith. I have faith that I can be wrong for sure. Yeah, we're. I I think we're probably pessimistic, but open to it being good, right? Yes, I think that's a. Yeah. I think that's a great way to describe it. I think that's a great way to describe it. Um, on the heels of the ridiculously high sales numbers for the first three quarters of Nintendo's uh, fiscal year twenty. 21 switch remained the best-selling hardware by units sold in the united states in january according to the npd group so they had like a great last year and it seems to just be continuing to roll into uh 2021 the good times are rolling sony's playstation 5 took in the most money in january but those systems are like 499 and 399 dollars versus the switches uh 199 and 299 um, and the switch, they also mentioned that the Switch's January 2021 sales numbers are also the highest for any hardware since the Wii's January 2010 sales. So, yeah, and this, this is um, just comparing Januaries, which is a, an odd thing to do, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, the, the highest uh, January for hardware sales in 11 years, which is uh, huge. It's more uh, Nintendo just uh, mopping up. It'll be interesting to see what happens in March because in March, I feel like in the U.S. anyways, um, like Animal Crossing hit big, but it was also right around, it was also during the time when the lockdowns were happening. Yep. And like, it was probably like the, I feel like the most lockdown the U.S. ever was where like there, there really genuinely was like this like six week period where across the country, people were staying at home, things were closed. And so I wonder if, um, like, software sales maybe won't be as high for March, but, like, hardware, hardware sales could potentially, I feel like, be higher this year than last year just because everything got so, um, like, uh, messed up and, re- like, everybody was reacting to what was happening. And yeah. so, like, uh, like, supply lines were disrupted and all that kind of stuff that I shouldn't be an issue this year. Uh, knock yeah. on wood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean that. Yeah, that that'll definitely be interesting to see. And also, like, as people start to, as people are going back to work, uh, like realizing the benefit of having the switch as something that you can take with you on your commute, um, or you know whatever, setting it apart from your uh, home consoles, um, and just as uh, like families and couples and whatever, um, like reach a tipping point of like, okay, we need to have separate switches now, <laughs> um that uh 
like I, I, I think that that'll start to reach a, a head as well. We know that the Pokemon Company is planning some celebratory events and products for Pokemon's 25th anniversary, which is this year. But details so far like have been quiet. Um, they previously announced a collaboration with Katy Perry, and last week they also announced a virtual or a team up for a virtual concert with Post Malone on Saturday, February 27th. It's so weird. <laughs> it is. It's so interesting to me. Although I guess like I, I, I would love to know if like Katy Perry and like Post Malone are Pokemon fans because those are very like interesting collaborations. Like I'd love to know the conversations that like brought about um these collaborations. Yeah. But... Or, or if the Pokemon company is just picking popular names out of a hat, right? <laughs> like it could be that too, that they're just like, I don't know, Post Malone. <laughs> Well, totally, but then you, but then like Post Malone and his people have to be like, yes, like Pokemon is like, yeah, you know, I want to yeah. associate myself with it. Um, and but also, so like we might be hearing more about uh, their twenty fifth, the Pokemon Company's twenty fifth anniversary plans, relatively soon. Um, in the same announcement for the Post Malone concert, there was the following um, quote: "More announcements that week from across the franchise." So maybe that last week of February is gearing up to be um, a big one for Pokemon. And that's around the timing that we usually, or at least in the past few years, have gotten Pokemon announcements. Yeah. Um, Like, uh, was it Sword and Shield or... Yeah, I think Sword and Shield were revealed like in 2019, uh, that last week in February. So... Yeah, well, and also... We could be due for something big. We could be due for something big. Also, I know like the idea of a big Nintendo January direct is like, you know, out the window. But we've we you know we we are through January. We are through the beginning of the year, and now we are on the other side of the like release of the first big Nintendo game of the year, um, with uh Super Mario 3D World. I'd say it's it's time. It's time for like the next Nintendo announcement to roll out. Um, and if it's uh some big new Pokemon g- game, then uh you know all all, all the better. That's a good point. That is a good point. And I think you're right. I think it probably, if I were betting, I would say, yeah, like um, end of February is we get whatever next big like Pokemon game, if it's a remake or like something else. And that will satiate us through or supposed to anyways, through like the end of April. Like, because I don't think we're going to hear anything in March because that's like Monster Hunter month. I think they might like get us through Pokemon Snap. Or right around then, I think we'll get another announcement for a game that comes out like in June that's like six weeks out. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, it's just crazy because like we're we're getting there. Like, you know, we're, we're talking about the last week of February. That's just next week, you know, and then know. and then it's March. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh man, that's crazy. Back in November, as part of the Capcom ransomware leaks, it was rumored that the Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney spinoff series called The Great Ace Attorney would be localized outside of Japan for the first time. Um, Just a reminder that the rumor is that uh, the game wouldn't have Japanese voice support since the characters are constantly referencing and talking about Sherlock Holmes, which uh, like Sherlock Holmes is all caught up in like some like copyright stuff. So that would all just be avoided. And so the English text localization would remove references to, so there would be basically like English voice acting, the Nix's references of Sherlock Holmes, and then the English text localization would take it out as well. Um, 
But you the know reason what? I'm bringing Some, this up. Someone, someone who owns like a different detective IP should get in on this and get you know, put Matlock in there. Put <laughs> Columbo in there. <laughs> that would be amazing. I, uh, and I, I think uh, it is time for like a true Jessica Fletcher game. Yes. Um, <laughs> Murder, she wrote. Murder, she aced attorneyed. There we um, go. But the reason, the reason we're bringing this up is because the Taiwan Digital Game Rating Committee recently rated the great Ace Attorney Chronicles for Switch, along with um, Tales from the Borderlands, which is the uh, Telltale episodic game that's set in the Borderlands universe, plus a game called Secret Neighbor and SnowRunner. So maybe we are getting the great Ace Attorney, which is really exciting news for me because I love the original three Ace Attorney games um, and would love to play like a, the spinoff for sure. It's really interesting to see these uh, Telltale games um, sort of like resurfacing here and there. Um, I now no longer remember what happened to Telltale. <laughs> I know. I no. I, I can't. I can't remember either. Like uh, I was trying to recall who bought like their um, intellectual property, and it was. Oh, do you know who it was? Sky, it was um, Skybound. Um, Robert Kirkman. Yeah, Skybound Entertainment, which is uh, Robert Kirkman's uh, uh, company that is like behind The Walking Dead, obviously, um, bought bought back like the rights to um, distribute the Walking Dead games. Uh, but like, I don't think they own like Wolf Among Us. I know Batman, uh, the Batman Telltale game, got like republished. So like, maybe they just reverted to the like original IP holders. I mean, I I, I really don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I guess uh, if we if we remember to check when Tales of the Borderlands for Switch gets revealed, assuming it does, we'll uh, we should try to remember to see who's who who owns it. Yes, we should. Last week, ukulele developer Platonic Games announced a new publishing label called Platonic Friends. Hmm. The hope is that the new label quote will allow the company to use its experience of developing and launching both ukulele and ukulele in the Impossible Layer to enable those hidden gem games, developers, and new businesses to reach the best audience possible, end quote. Interesting. Yeah, so uh, the three developers that they announced as being on board currently are Awe Interactive, Fabraz, and Okidoki Co. Um, but there's apparently more in the works, and Platonic also says that they're set to announce their next project soon. Um, and I've heard that Ukulele and the Impossible Layer is, like, really fun. It's supposed to be good in the same way that, like, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze is good. Um, and so I had zero interest in, like, the original Ukulele. But this is one that goes on sale quite a bit. And I wonder if I should check it out. Because I love Tropical Freeze. Yeah, I mean, Impossible Layer looks... Uh, I, I, I've also not played it. I, I played a little bit of the original Ukulele. Um, and was sort of bummed out by the uh, level design not being super engaging. Um, like it does a, a a good faithful job of being a banjo kazooie like, um, but just the the levels felt you know they, I, you didn't have that same draw to like explore the areas. Um, but yeah, the uh, the impossible layer is a like two D uh, platforming game, which is you know one hundred percent exactly the kind of game you and I want to play uh, all, all the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I would also uh, consider checking that one out next time it goes on sale, um, and would be interested in uh, hearing what they have next. I wonder if they're going to stay with 
um, those characters or if they're going to branch off into something else. Yeah, I'll be interested to see that as well. Because I feel like ukulele has turned into like a known entity, yeah. um, if nothing else. But I, I, I think this whole kind of like trend, if you want to call it a trend that we're seeing, um, is interesting. Like Yacht Club, Gla- Yacht Club Games did something similar where they were like an indie developer and who um, was, were very successful. And so they like became a publisher. And we saw that with uh, Cyber Shadow just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, developer and machine head. Yeah. Y- I mean, I, yeah. I, I, w- and so, I wonder... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I, I, it seems to me, and I guess it will remain to be seen, but uh, that, like, this is good for the industry because potentially what it does is, like, these games, like Cyber Shadow, who knows what would have happened to it if it wasn't picked up by, like, Yacht Club Games. And so I think it'll help, like, give the smaller developers a, a chance to, like, stand out if you're lucky enough to be like noticed and able to like partner with these bigger companies, but it's like indies helping indies. And and where's that line between indie publisher? And yes, I guess it's like an indie music label where it's like, what even is, does that even mean anymore that you're just, you're just not Capitol records. You're not Sony. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's kind of what it boils down to is like, no, they're just smaller companies than, than like the big ones, or they're just, uh, earlier in their journey of becoming eventually the, the big ones you know like um it, it's so interesting to think of just like the the stalwarts that we have in the industry like the the uh, the three big first parties uh capcom square enix um and then like ubisoft and there there, there are so many right that are just enormous um and have been around like forever right like ea has been around for like 40 years um and so that these uh, other companies have uh, like uh, Platonic and Yacht Club um, have only been around for like eight or nine years uh, means that like we're they're just building up steam and they're going to become big in, in their own right or fade away. Um, but like it, it makes me think of uh, like Devolver Digital is uh, a they're just a publisher, right? Like they just find uh, indie games that are, are being developed by um, smaller um, developers and then like publishing them under a, a single banner um and it, it's kind of cool to have something that is both publisher and developer together where they can sort of share expertise both in terms of development and in terms of publishing um and i don't know if devolver has that sort of like development side to them as well yeah the other one and i'm sure there are others that i'm just missing but the other one that comes to mind is like adult swim games but i feel like they're yeah. in like the devolver digital I mean, obviously, Adult Swim, you know, is like part of a much broader corporation. But as far as yeah. like games go, but I think they're in the same um, like space as Devolver Digital, where I don't think they have development houses. I think they just like shepherd games and publish them. Yeah. Uh, could cult classic game Star Wars: The Republic Commando be coming to Switch? Mm. Ninten- Nintendo Everything reports that update data for the game has been uploaded to Nintendo servers. And it looks to be coming from Aspire, which is the company behind the recent ports of Jedi Knight, Jedi Knight 2, and Episode 1 Racers. So apparently other Switch titles like Fortnite and Paladins were like leaked in a similar fashion. Mm. But it it like I uh I saw this like news piece, but it's like it's not attributed to anyone. So I'm assuming Nintendo everything found it. But like, how? How do you see what is being uploaded to Nintendo's servers? I would love to know. 
yeah, uh, that is a great question. I I don't know how how you would know that. Um, do you do you have uh, experience with Star Wars Republic Commando? No, I never played it. But what I think, but I I remember when it came out, and what I think is so interesting is that like these licensed like uh star wars games and i'm sure like it probably happens with other licenses but like these licensed star wars games which like at the time that they came out were just kind of like oh it's just another like licensed title but they have this kind of like cult status and because to my mind the fact that they are they're like star wars games that they are they're like brought back yeah and and that's it's so interesting that like even though these games are coming back, like Star Wars Episode One Racer and like a the uh, the Jedi Knight games, um, that like I don't know, there's such like Disney's doing such a thorough job of like pruning the canon right now that like it's weird that these uh, clearly non-canon, clearly Legends games are like seeing the light of day again, uh, and and not in any context where it's like okay, Star Wars Legends, comma uh, Jedi Knight, like it's just. They're just back. Uh, it's seemingly like there are no cops and people are just doing whatever they want and putting these games back out. No, it really does feel that way. It feels like, like, and it, it doesn't, it, it can't be possible because like uh, the, the Star Wars license doesn't seem likely to fall into like the gray market, but it does right. seem like Aspire is just kind of like doing this like stuff and nobody's noticing because uh, it's like, yeah, like what, uh, Bionic, like, uh republic commando is coming back and but like at the same time like lucasfilm games just had this like big announcement and you know they have like deals with like ubisoft and like bethesda like all this crazy stuff and then it's like like this tiny company that i'd never heard of before these switch ports is just like out here just like pumping them out left and right i mean i i would believe that they're the rights for distribution of some of like this era of star wars game is murky enough that like whoever holds like even the remotest uh ownership of it can put it out and like it could be challenged or whatever but like it would be a mess untying it and like you know there's the issue with um like there are some uh star wars novels that like disney isn't paying like royalties on um oh yeah Mm -hmm. that it's not a situation that i i totally understand um but like it seems like there is so it's such a knotted mess of uh, licensing rights and just rights in general um, that like, I, I, I could totally see this being something that uh, Disney and Lucasfilm as a whole is not like supporting, but doesn't really have a leg to stand on uh, it to stop it. Yeah, I bet you're right. And I, I think one of the, or also just like when we're talking about this, I realized that probably like the original developers of these games, when these remasters come out, like they probably they see nothing from it. Like they oh, yeah. probably no get way. like zero money, right? Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, the entertainment industry is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, finally, if you've completed 15 missions for Mario's 35th anniversary at like the official Mario website, um, codes for the second wave of Mario pins will be released this Wednesday, which is tomorrow, February 17th, at noon Pacific time. Um, and so good luck to everybody who is trying to uh, redeem your codes. Last time for the Wave 1, it was uh, a huge mess, but um, hopefully people are lucky this time. 
I feel like this time it's it's sort of a a, a pre mess because Mark, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've uh, like looked into where exactly you are in um, this lineup, but fifteen missions is a lot of missions. Um, and if you hadn't done a, a handful of the uh, missions that needed to be done before you know various dates that have now long passed, um, it's just impossible to get them. Um, so like if you didn't participate in the uh, the Mario Kart thing, there was a Smash Brothers thing, there was buying stuff from Coldstone, um, the uh, Splatoon, um, Super Mario, uh, Splatfest is is one of them. Um, there are a lot of things like that that if you miss the boat on, you just miss the boat on them, um, and won't be able to complete fifteen missions. I, I am in this boat. I wanted these pins, um, but like I didn't. Uh, I there's literally no way for me to do it. So. I feel like the mess has already been made, um, and there'll be like eight or nine people <laughs> eligible to get these pins on Wednesday. Yeah, I I did do the missions, but only because when the second wave, when like it was announced that like the second wave was coming, I like t- tried to do like everything that was available. Yeah. So like I signed up to participate in the like um, Super Mario Maker two challenge even though like i didn't participate in smart, it like smart. I, I like did like that kind of stuff but um it was still really close like it was uh i i'm like barely at the cusp of 15 with yeah. like having purchased super mario 3d world and i'm kind of surprised that they did it this way where like it, i think it i mean it would have been kinder if they had been like okay once wave one is over like wave two you it just like Separate starts set of missions. yeah yeah but but I, I do wonder if it'll be actually that's not even true. I was gonna say like I wonder if it'll be less of a mess because you know like less people will qualify. But I think enough people are going to qualify that it's still going to be a complete mess trying to get codes. Yeah, I mean no matter what, it's a, an extremely limited quantity thing that they're uh, trying to yeah. cut uh, access to even further. So, all right, well Mark, uh, good luck to you then. Good Mark, you're gonna get those pins. I believe in you. All right, let's close this out. That is going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you like the episode, you can also share it on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you share stuff. We appreciate it when you do that. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at Nincart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge <laughs> Nintendo Cartridge Society. Am I? I'm not Nintendo Cartridge Society. Ooh. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape at Betty. You can get more of his music by going to apeatbetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Eller saying thank you for listening. is Will Himes, and I am a ghost writer, meaning I write other people's books for them. And I have a podcast called I Will Write Your Book, which are recordings of my meetings with my eccentric clients, such as a woman blocked after one sentence of a children's book about her dogs, a romance novelist who dislikes sex, and a man proud of having sampled everything in his local grocery store. 
This podcast has been described as fully improvised, played by some of the best comedians on the planet Earth. Hey, that's pretty good. That's I Will Write Your Book on Campfire Media. Campfire.